0: This is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. I'm here in the studio with Mary Morrison and Stanford students Sarah and Topher, and our special guest today, Frances Lewis, who's a recent Stanford graduate who works for a large, popular, high-tech firm in Silicon Valley. Our topic today is Getting the Salary You Deserve. Here on the phone with us to talk about why women usually don't ask for what they're worth is Linda Babcock, Professor of Economics at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Her 2003 book, Women Don't Ask, Negotiation and the Gender Divide, was named by Fortune Magazine as one of the 75 smartest business books of all time. Welcome Linda.
1: Hey Susan, how are you?
0: Good. It's good to talk to you. It's been a while. Here at the table with me is Mary Morrison and Stanford students Topher and Sarah, along with Frances Lewis. I get to ask the first question. Okay. (laughs) What is the main message in your book?
1: Well, the main message is really that women don't negotiate as much as men. You know, it's not that we negotiate differently than men do when we're negotiating. It's just that we don't do it as often. And my research suggests that men initiate about four times as many negotiations as women. And these are all kinds of negotiations, like over your salary, like what you did. But it could also be things like directly asking for a promotion at work instead of waiting to be offered a promotion, or asking for the specific, the particular job tasks that you want to do. And men are just more likely to negotiate over those things than are women.
0: Well, what are the most powerful forces that are holding back women?
1: Well, it's, there are a couple of things that really stop women from asking what they want. The first is really socialization, because from a young age, little girls are taught to accept what's offered to them, to hold back and accept the status quo. And little boys are, through all kinds of ways, encouraged to go after what they want. And these messages shows up, show up in the books that our kids read, the TV shows that they watch, the movies that they see, and it's all modeling very different behavior for boys and for girls. So socialization is a big factor that holds us back.
2: Frances? Linda, I'm curious to know, I've always felt that the wage disparity could easily be blamed on men. And now you're kind of telling me that it's more of our fault, that as a woman I should just ask for a better raise and that maybe society is to blame for the original causes. But is it really true that if I ask for a raise, I'll get the same raise that a man would have asked for?
1: Well, let me say a couple things about that. First of all, the last thing I want to do is is blame women for the wage gap you know, like, like you said this is really the problem that we have with our society and what we are told everyday growing up as girls and so it's really that society has to change um, if we're going to uh... have young girls asking more and women asking more so i don't want to i don't want to blame women um, but um, but you're right uh... in that if women did ask more if we could just uh... overcome those messages that we've heard then we are very successful in asking for what we want.
3: Um, this is Mary. Um, I'm the mother in the in the panel. Uh-huh. I want to know, do, do you find any difference when women have women for bosses or women have men for bosses? Are women more likely to negotiate with a woman or, or just only hesitant when it comes to a man?
1: Well, actually, we find that women are hesitant to... Um, negotiate with both men and women. That it's not that we feel more comfortable with one or the other, it's just that we're equally hesitant to ask either. And I also want to point out um, that it's possible that uh, sometimes we don't negotiate because we make a conscious calculation. You know, Susan, you said that when you negotiated, your boss initially reacted very negatively. And some of that may be because it came from a woman and because he wasn't expecting it. And so this is the really second factor that does tend to hold women back is that we expect and actually get more backlash when we do ask for something and so what my work shows is that if we ask for something in a very direct maybe competitive way that that's the the situation we're most likely to get that backlash but there are things that we can do uh, as women to negotiate that will avoid that backlash
0: what are some of those things
1: well, some of those things come down to negotiating in a more cooperative way. Um, you guys ever heard hear of the book uh, Getting to Yes? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> it, it's really about kind of a win-win negotiation and how to approach a negotiation, trying to think about how the other side will see the situation and thinking about it more as a problem solving. So if you had gone into your boss Susan and said, Look, you know, here's here's my situation, I really can't afford to make less than this. How can we work this out so that I can still make a decent wage? You approach it as a more problem solving exercise, then you're less likely to get the kind of backlash that our society dishes out to women.
4: I have a question for you, Linda. This is Sarah. I'm uh-huh. one of the students on the panel. Um, I applied for a job working in a dormitory on campus in the spring last year, and I just assumed that there would be there would be compensation for this job because other people performing similar jobs in other residences on campus were being paid for them. And so they, they offered me the position, and I accepted it. And then three months later, at the beginning of of the school year, when I was supposed to be starting the job, I found out that there was actually no compensation for the uh-huh. job at all. Oh no! <laughs> and at that point, I you know I figured, oh well, I've accepted the job now. If I tell them that I don't I don't want it after all because I'm not being paid, then they'll think I don't value the work and that'll mm-hmm. reflect poor me, poorly on me as a person. Um, so I ended up doing it even though there was no compensation. I really did need the money. I was just wondering, I mean, what, what could I have done at that point or what, what would you... Suggest. Yeah,
1: you know, a couple <laughs> of things, um, and uh, that, that that story isn't surprising given what we're what we're taught growing up. You know, yeah. when when girls are, are growing up, they're more likely than boys to be given chores for which they don't get paid. Mm. You know, set, setting the table or doing the dishes, and girls learn from a very young age that their work is for love mm-hmm. and for the family and for other people, and so don't aren't used to thinking about their work as having a dollar value associated with it. Mm. And so you might have worried, you know, um, that that uh, that they were going to think something about you because of all those things that you've been taught as a kid is about why you should work. Oh, well, you should work for other people. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can understand your your hesitation. Um, but I guess that's just a lesson that when you are taking a job, when you are con- even considering a job, you really need to find out a lot of information about, you know, what is the pay, what are the benefits, yeah. and um, if you really believe that uh you were going to be paid and then weren't you know they could have found somebody else you know right. they, i, I they was very
4: much afraid to ask when i was when i was applying for the job because i thought that even even asking what the compensation was would suggest to them that i didn't really care about the work
1: well do they <laughs> think that you would want to work for free i mean <laughs> right you yeah. know it, we we often worry that we're going to be greedy that people are going to think that we're greedy when yeah. we ask money but you know we have to make a living too you know and <laughs> and so it's completely appropriate appropriate for us to care about the compensation And um, and and so asking about that is is completely standard. You know, they they probably expected. They were probably wondering why you didn't ask actually about the (laughs) compensation. So, you know, if if you were hiring someone, you would certainly ask them to. uh, You would certainly expect them to ask what they were going to be paid, right? Yeah.
5: So, yeah. Uh, Linda, this is Topher. I want to ask something a little more from the male side. The title of your book is "Women Don't Ask," and you've said that basically men do ask. But do men ask enough? Is 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 it possible everyone's getting worked over by the management here, or is it really a situation where men are getting uh, fair contracts and the women aren't?
1: Well, you know, my research really doesn't say whether anyone is asking too much or too little, right? So uh, what I can say is that men and women differ in the, in the chance that they ask. So it is possible that we should all be negotiating more, uh, men and women, Ab- absolutely.
0: Then has there been? Can you break down the kind of reaction that you've had to your book from women, and uh, from men? I mean, are Some women resisting what you're telling them. I can't imagine why, but it is kind of shocking what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I think it is shocking, and I think that a couple of things. One is that it almost feels a little bit liberating when you realize, oh, it's just not me, (laughs) because you might have thought, well, it's just some inherent part of my personality that I just don't ask, and that's me. And I think it's very empowering to say, you know, this isn't me. This is really what I've been told, and I can do something different if I choose to. And so I think women have found the message very very empowering for that reason, um, that they can ask, that they can decide not to listen to the voices in their head that <laughs> told them all along that, that they shouldn't. Um, so the, the reaction has been pretty favorable, and, you know, one of the really fun things about having written this book is I get a lot of fan mail from readers from all over the country and world, actually, who have read the book and who tell, call in, or, or not call in, but who write in and tell me their stories about how, in many ways, the book has changed their lives and the things that they've negotiated for that have really made a difference to them.
0: One of your biggest fans is my daughter, who wrote a Reader's (laughs) Review uh, on Amazon.com. Okay. talking about how she had benefited financially from having bought your book. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, I, this is Frances again.
2: I guess I want to disagree with you a little bit about some of the statements on, in terms of empowering women. I totally okay. agree that this message empowers women, but I think it's, for me, it was empowering to hear that it was my fault on some of them. And I know you don't want to blame the uh-huh, individual, uh-huh. but when we label it as a societal cause, I feel very much outside of the equation. I feel like I don't have that control to change uh-huh all of society i do have the control to change my own behavior and if it's yes. just an issue of me asking more i completely agree that it's mm-hmm. empowering i was almost discouraged to hear it categorized as a societal issue because for me to change my behavior it was more an individual action
1: well but i think the the the, the reason i like to talk about it as a societal issue because you know i think it's if if you just say, well, women don't negotiate, and you don't really explore what's holding them back in the first place, mm-hmm. it's hard for people to change their behavior if they don't know what caused it in the first place. So when you say, oh, you know, this is something that I learned as a kid, uh, you know, that, um, I can change now if I want to, and that's why I like to talk about it as, as, as society. Um, and I think it's also incumbent on us as society to start making changes now in how we treat our children, also how we respond to women that negotiate. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you see a very assertive woman doing something, sometimes people will call that woman a bad name. <laughs> you know, I think we can all think of what those names are. Um when we think a woman has been too aggressive. And we just have to stop doing that. We have to say, Hey, you know what? She's just standing up for what she wants. That's really great. I'm really supporting her and so in little ways we can Work to change society by be being more positive towards women who do negotiate.
0: Right, Linda. I wanted to ask you. Uh, we're running out of time, but I, I want you to give us some more tips, or give women some tips on how to how to ask. You said that we should use the philosophy of getting to yes, not being so aggressive. But what are what are some two two or three other tips that you would give?
1: Okay, I would say definitely before you are going to go into a negotiation, to do your homework. Okay, so let's say that you're going to negotiate for the salary for a new job, as I know probably many of your listeners are, are thinking about doing. Well, you really need to know what the market is for people with your skills. You can go do things like go to career services at your school. You can get on the web. There's lots of publications available that you can find out what you're worth, what kinds of jobs you would be. Um, capable for and what they would earn. And so you go into the negotiation with a very good idea about what's your market value, and you're going to use that to set a goal for the negotiation. Setting that goal based on homework is something that you can then really believe in and stick to during the negotiation. The other thing is that women also say that they feel very anxious about negotiating. And one of the best things that you can do to reduce that anxiety is by role-playing. So, if you want to sit down with a friend or a colleague who knows the person that you're going to negotiate with, you know, play out the negotiation with them. Do it very seriously. Do it many different kinds of ways. You know, have them be tough on you. Have them throw you for a loop, and really practice the negotiation quite seriously. Um, and that will really help you feel more calm and confident going into the negotiation. And that is really important to our success in a negotiation. So, I can't say enough good things about. Um, role playing and how that helps you going into a negotiation.
0: And doing the homework. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I can see some uh, Sarah's faces lighting up saying, Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, excellent. Well, good luck to you all in negotiating. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. Okay, bye <laughs> bye. Linda Babcock, economics professor, at Carnegie Mellon University, and author of the book Women Don't Ask Negotiation and the Gender Divide. Coming up, the panel will take a look at the differences between student life and the real world after graduation. If you're just tuning in, today's panel includes Mary Morrison and Stanford students Topher and Sarah, along with our special guest, Francis Lewis. Our topic is student life versus the real world. And here to give us a perspective is our former panel member, Francis, who graduated from Stanford in 2005 and now works for a very large, popular high tech firm in Silicon Valley. Welcome back. It's good to have you here. It's
2: great to be back, Susan. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I'll ask the first question, but I'm sure some of our... Now, Topher, you've worked... Um, yes. You're a graduate student, but you've been out in the real world, Sarah. You've had lots of jobs on campus. I
4: worked for a law firm also during the summer.
0: Okay, and I've Mar- worked, I've worked, <laughs> and Mary many, you many, many places, <laughs> yes. many places. Right. So, uh, I must tell you, as a prelude to this, that when I left college and had, went to work, I almost had a nervous breakdown. It, I did not find it fun. Now, maybe going to work for a very large, popular, high-tech firm in Silicon Valley is more fun than what I did. I don't know. It's pretty
2: fun. Not going to lie. I work for a very fun company, and they, they pride themselves on
0: that. Well, let's talk, though, about still, was it a shock? I, and if so, how, when you had to get up in the morning by a certain time and you had to dress? and
2: I think yes is the, the right answer for that. There was more of an issue with... um not getting to sleep in in the mornings than I had ever been used to before but I had worked other jobs before on campus, like Sarah and Topher both had. So I think for for most students, they've had the experience of having to wake up early in the morning. So I wouldn't say that that was the biggest issue, per se.
0: What was the biggest issue? Not
2: having your friends next door to you. The bigger issue for me wasn't working at a company, but so much not living on campus, where it's a trip back to high school on some levels. You have to call before meeting up with somebody. It takes either half an hour of public transit or walking, in some cases, or driving. But you can't just walk next door and have just this wide variety of people living next to you. Your social circle expands but it also shrinks on that level. Sarah?
4: Uh, did you find that after you've been working there for a while though you did kind of have your friends next door, like in the, the neighboring cubicle, do yes. you come close with your colleagues? Or?
2: Absolutely. That's one of the best parts, I think, about working in this area is there are a lot of young people. There are a lot of very interesting people with interesting backgrounds. And so, yes, you do become a little bit like family with some of your friends, but that ends at six o'clock. What are you going to do afterwards? You can't sleep at work.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I think <laughs> we might misrepresent the world of work if we say we're going to be chummy with the people (laughs) next door necessarily. Uh, My first job was as a high school English teacher after I graduated from high school, uh, from college rather. And so the people next door, I remember distinctly the woman in the next room was this woman who was about 30, 40 years older than I am who had a whole different attitude about what high school English teaching was about. I was not going to be her buddy. Uh, (laughs) And uh, and it was was quite a difference. It was quite a difference not having your social circle there to support you i felt alone very alone
2: what i will say too is that you can't avoid the people you don't like that's right in college you could do that you didn't have to talk to them in class you know you might have gotten stuck on a project with them but in the real world you can't avoid them especially if they're your manager and i'm not using that as an example because i love my manager but there are several people where you can just you want to avoid them and you can't you got to work with them and put on a smiley face I
5: I want want to ask about something I've I've dubbed first job syndrome. (laughs) Several of my friends who have gone to work at high tech companies and startups um, have left after one or two years, gone to a second place, Mm -hmm. have been much, much happier with things because they understand all the mistakes they made. They they don't need to worry. They... uh they don't need to worry about burning any bridges, anything like that. They can just. be... We're you. not sure you're on the air, uh, so we yeah, need to I mean. check.
0: Um, <laughs> Francis. Now we want you to c- fess up and tell us about some hard parts of this. You're making it sound like a, a breeze, <laughs> and I understand that you are working for a very popular company Thanks and so. things are really hip. But where did um, where did it all fall, fall short? Uh, where when did it fall short? Yeah. When short. did you? Come on, fess up. Tell us when did you wish that you were back having, you know, in the place where you had the best time of your life? (laughs) That's tough. I think it's one of those things
2: where it's, it's very different based on whatever company you work for and whatever industry you're in. The biggest area that it fell short for me, which you could put largely on my own shoulders, is that. The job I'm doing is not what I want to be doing the rest of my life. I'm going to law school in the fall. I'm interested in being a lawyer. And the job I'm doing right now has nothing to do with that whatsoever. So as much as I love my company and the environment I'm in, the actual day-to-day job that I'm doing is boring. I just don't like it. And so it's one of those things where you can't get around that. And I think to, to Topher's original question that you know, maybe that's what it is. Your first job syndrome is finding out what you really like and that that first job you took isn't what you actually want to do. And then you switch around and you find what it is you want to do.
5: To follow up on that, France, that exactly was my question. Uh, Do you you find, not to incriminate anyone (laughs) at the large popular uh, tech Tech company that I work for, uh, but uh, do you find a lot of coworkers your age have that sort of idea that I'm not really sure what I want to do? I don't know if I want to stay here the rest of my career.
2: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people there aren't entirely sure what they want to do with their life, and so they have kind of say, hey, this is a great place to start. Maybe I'll make connections. Maybe I'll stick it out another five years, but maybe I'll find something else I want to do, and then I'll have a great company to put on my resume and jump somewhere else. I, f- I see that a lot.
3: I, I have an illustration about it. She said about the boring parts of a job. I have a friend who's a professional French horn player. <laughs> okay, It's a wonderful job. He, he plays for the symphony and the opera and all this, and it's a wonderful job. And so I said to him, at Christmas time, how can you stand to play the Nutcracker forty hundred and seventy five <laughs> times and he said that's why they have to pay us to go to work <laughs> every job yeah. I think has this part that you just is, you just have to plow through and college isn't as much like that you might have one class you have to plow through but not day after day after day there's a section I bet surgeons have find part of what they do is repetitive you know it's just not all that much fun.
0: Well, I think another hard part is, and Frances, you alluded to it, but you can't avoid people that you don't like. And I found that very hard. I worked in an office where one of the, there were four women in the office, and one of them decided at some point that she wasn't going to talk to me. And I had, you know, I, how long did I work with her? A, a, another year where this was going on? And, It didn't affect me too much because I was very young and I didn't really care. But it was unpleasant. And you can't go to a boss and complain about something like that because it was so passive-aggressive, which often happens.
2: That's a great point. You'll find that there are several people, you know just maybe it's personality types but they have a hard time separating personal relationship from professional relationships and that you can have a disagreement with them in a meeting and all of a sudden they're not talking to you at lunch. You said what happened here? I thought I was allowed to express my opinion and disagree and all of a sudden it's becomes a huge personal issue.
4: Uh, I was going to ask another question about yeah. personal and professional <laughs> uh, issues. I was wondering what what kind of romantic things happen in the office, if at all? Is there a lot of dating that comes out of working for a, a company full of young people or are, are people very careful about getting romantically involved because they're working together?
2: It's a little bit of both. There is a lot of dating that happens, and it's a lot of it under the table. It, not that it's necessarily... Not literally. No, not literally, no,
1: <laughs> not literally <laughs> under the table.
2: <laughs> and it's not that it's forbidden or anything. There's no policy against it, although I do have a lot of friends who went to work for companies that actually, at orientation, specifically said we discourage you from dating each other wow. because they found that like we were mentioning the personal relationships just get in the way of the professional ones but specifically I have not dated a coworker. I'll throw that out there I have had crushes on coworkers. I wouldn't have minded dating a few of them, but it's one of those things where the the threshold for when to approach someone about it, you just raise the bar a little bit because if there is anything like rejection on the table, you run the risk of ruining a professional relationship as well. So I think people take the risk a little less often, but it definitely happens.
0: Well, we want to know how it
2: happens.
4: And does it happen, does it <laughs> happen across departments? Do you find that I think it happens in-
2: it's, it's 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 so tricky. It's easier to happen within a department because you're with those people more often. It is safer to happen outside of your department because you don't work with that person. Mm-hmm. So I'd advise you in your future career to w- date someone outside of your department, but take advantage of the fact that there's lots of young people around you. It's a great dating pool, right? They've met some sort of <laughs> criteria that you have to have for someone to date. They have a job filtration process. Exactly. You know, they're employed, <laughs> right? You know, you could work. T- you have something in common. It's great, right? Date a coworker. I'm not against it.
3: Well, I, I have to. I have to take a different attitude about that. <laughs> uh, having worked in places like a meat packing plant and a construction firm and all the other places in my life. Dating is not really the number one uh, ad- thing on the agenda, I think. and you, I, I've worked at this major university now for 20 years, and I've known very little of that going on. <laughs> very, very little. It's remarkable. And yeah. you think about it. Maybe you date someone that works way over, as she said, in another department. But it, it's uh, it's really an unwritten thing that you just don't do that Uh, it's very And
0: have you seen the repercussions i mean where people start it gets
3: Uh, yeah mm -hmm. i've heard gossip about this person is breaking the social well they don't say this but they're (laughs) breaking the rule Mm -hmm. i think so-and-so is going out with so-and-so and and people just are appalled it's not what you're supposed to be doing and 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 i don't know that it's written down anywhere but it's certainly what everyone expects
0: they're just jealous well, that's when it comes down. I mean, come well, on. It depends if, on who it is. If I they suppose.
3: can be
2: professional
0: about it, they're just jealous. I, I, I don't, I don't I know. I think they probably are. Tofer.
5: Uh, going back to our guest, Francis. do you <laughs> have any stories about Negotiation from either yourself or your colleagues that you may have heard,
2: are we still within the confines of trying to date one of my coworkers? <laughs> I know. It was a great negotiation no, no. Um, yeah yeah tell us that <laughs> no, I did not attempt to negotiate dating a coworker. I will say that um, negotiation that 's a great question. I did just recently try to do that as as I mentioned, I am leaving the company and I was trying to negotiate my end date. I knew the company wanted me to be there as long as possible because I am what I will call an asset to what I'm doing right now. And they were having a hard time hiring someone to replace me. And so I said, I'd like to stay through the end of June, but I will leave at the end of April unless you help me out with my hours here. I was working too many. And what I wanted to do was work from home. So I said, I want to work these hours and I want to work from home one day a week. And the the immediate answer was, no, we have a policy against working from home. And you know, we went through this entire process and the end result was still, no, you can't work from home. And for me, it was actually frustrating. I, I, I don't have an issue asking. I don't have a problem negotiating. So for me, the issue was more that they did, had a problem with being flexible in terms of those issues. So, you know, I had I have a preference where I don't mind doing the asking. I just want there to be some sort of flexibility, and I didn't
0: get that. Well, you know, what's happened? Are you staying through June? Yeah, I'm staying through June. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so
2: they you can say that they, they, maybe they won the negotiation because I'm somewhat of a pushover, but I ultimately realized that they, maybe they called my bluff on it. I was planning to stay through the end of June anyways.
4: Did they help <laughs> you with your hours, though?
2: Yes, they did help with the hours. I mean, and they did a good job, though, of stepping back and saying, well, let's look at the reasons why you want to work from home. You want to work from home because you live in San Francisco and the commute's terrible, but you get a free, you know, we get free transportation on our commute. That's giving away too much. And they're like, well, why don't you just work on your... Commute, And if you can work on your commute, we'll count that as part of your hours you're getting your work done, then maybe that'll eliminate the need or the want to work from home. So it was a good answer on their part. They they took into account what I wanted. They're just saying maybe there's a different solution than the one you've proposed. Well, they gave you
0: a very nice solution. They gave you more money for your travel time. Yeah, essentially. Well, that's a huge bonus. So,
2: so it was great because I had been putting in 13-hour days, and now I'm doing eight. So and you
0: didn't think of that, though, as a big bonus. Trust me, you've been spoiled.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> I spoiled think. in more than one way. Well, I'll with, tell you, a lot of benefits. companies
0: don't care. I mean, think of these poor schlucks who are driving three hours a day to get to a job or six hours a day. I don't know. Why don't they live closer? They can't afford it. They can't afford it. Well, in my
2: case, I I chose to move farther away because I wanted to live in San Francisco, which is more expensive but more entertaining, so it's my own fault.
0: Yes. Well, Francis, thank you. It's so great to see you again. Francis was on our show for The Engineer, and how long were you on the show? A long time. A couple quarters. Yeah, we covered a lot of territory when Francis was on the show. That we did. (laughs) Good. Well, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Good to have you here. Coming up on the show, the panel will take a look at how to get what you need from your relationships. We'll also be taking your calls and answering your emails. The uh, phone number is 650-723- 9010, and the Email addresses, what would your mother say at kzsu.stanford.edu? We're going to take a uh, short break. I'm Susan Morris. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? We'll be right back. This is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. I'm in the studio with Mary Morrison and Stanford students Topher, Sarah, and Jackie, who has just joined us. Our topic today, uh, right now, is how to get what you want out of a relationship. Have you ever felt exploited by those around you? Wanted something you were afraid to ask for? Asking an employer for what you deserve is hard enough, but being, but asking what you want and need in a relationship with a significant other is even more difficult. All our fears of being rejected or unloved come out in full force. It doesn't matter how old you are. So I'm going to ask the panel, I'm going to ask Sarah, uh, was there, uh, ever Was there another part of your life where you didn't, other than in the working world and your first job that's coming up, was there another part of your life where you didn't ask for what you needed?
4: Uh, Yeah, absolutely, Susan. Um, I had a a long-term boyfriend who who I was with in high school, and then when I came to college, and he was always late when we were supposed to, to meet to do something together. Um, even if I was meeting him at, at his room at a, a point in time, he wouldn't be ready to go. And so I, I spent a huge amount of time waiting for him. You know, any, anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour was pretty much standard. And I was I was never able to ask him to be on time or to be ready on time. You know, every time I, I, would, I would show up to his room or he would come pick me up a half an hour late... He would apologize, he would feel bad, and then I would I would be unable to say, you know, it really bothers me when you don't get here on time. I, it was something I just couldn't ask for.
0: Were you afraid he'd break up with you? I wasn't afraid he would break up
4: with me. I guess it was partly because I, I knew he wasn't trying to be late. He, he did want to be on time, and that was important to him. So I knew he cared about me, and I went, well, I know he cares. I know there are other parts of the relationship that are good. I, is it really worth the discomfort of asking? Um to get this result and I think I always I always decided no it wasn't until two years after we we broke up um, that, that I finally told him that mm-hmm. I didn't like it when he showed up late because he was still
0: <laughs> arriving late. Good for I you. I want to
5: note you're in the company of legions of men in that department. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's that? For girls, oh, uh, showing up men,
5: late, it, or decades upon decades of time have been spent men waiting for women to be ready. Oh. Oh. Whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> But
6: I would just like to point out that when boys are late, they still look like their slovenly selves, but when girls are late, we typically look very put together and very nice. <laughs> yeah, think
3: this
4: is and very I think that, that harkens back to the old tradition of the man going to the woman's house to pick her up, and he's supposed to meet the parents while she's finishing getting ready. So that's part of this. There was the whole procedure in the past where she's supposed to not be ready so that there's an opportunity for the father to check the date out and make sure that he he gets the seal of approval.
6: Oh, God, I think of myself as a feminist. I hate thinking that I'm up- upholding this weird, <laughs> archaic gender
0: <laughs> tradition. Well, well, well Jackie, when you, if this happened to you where you didn't ask for something, what do you think you missed out on looking back?
6: You know, I think that um, when when you don't ask How do I say this? Well, I'll just give an example. I was um, with a guy in high school. And, you know, I'm a pretty, you know, ballsy, outspoken female. But that is my, like, nervous tick. I don't like to be ballsy and outspoken. If I have just... If I'm uncomfortable in a situation and if the other person's not acting, then I act. Because that's my comfort zone. And I just wish that I, in our relationship, I was always the one who initiated everything. And I wish I just could have said, maybe sometimes you can take the lead high school boyfriend and I can not have to arrange everything. And I wish that I had said that because, you know, I'm still uncomfortable being like less submissive and less aggressive or more submissive, less aggressive.
0: I wonder about the impact of role playing doing something like that in terms of our human relationships. What do you think, Mary? Do you think that would... Uh, what do I think about role-playing? In in terms of practicing with a friend, saying to, "Deary, Sweetie Pie, I'd really be happier if you did the dishes, or <laughs> whatever
3: it might be. I, I don't know. I've, I Frankly, I've never been a fan of role-playing. Uh, just uh, in all honesty, oh. I don't think it's at all like when you're actually facing the real person or the real situation, especially if you're doing it with a friend. I could role play with somebody that I didn't know very well, perhaps in practice, but a friend wouldn't give wouldn't give me the same. I think feedback. I think it's true. There isn't the same
4: anxiety like, no, when you're doing it with no, a friend. I but think I think, is. for me at least, the experience of of. Figuring out what I would say if they post certain questions is very helpful. Uh, I feel much more confident than going into the the argument or the negotiation. Not that I've negotiated a lot in my life, but if if I've thought through my
3: responses to certain questions ahead of time and
0: said the words out loud, sometimes yeah. it's just a qu- you know saying something out loud and so you
3: can hear yourself talking. You say, "Oh my gosh, that wasn't very." That wasn't so, say, well, no. or, or
0: that wasn't so hard to say. Oh, I you know, and um, gosh, maybe I could tighten it up a little bit, but it's okay to say to someone, "I need." This done. I need you to do this for me.
6: Well, Sarah, you've actually helped me. Down. I don't know if you remember this, but we did a role-playing thing over. God, maybe it was like our junior, our junior year when I liked the Scandinavian guy. The awkward. Do you remember the awkward Scandinavian? Well, guy? why
4: don't you ta- explain it to our listeners?
6: <sighs> I liked yes. this awkward Scandinavian guy. I had a thing for Scandinavians at the time. And to make a long story short, um, he had asked to date one of my friends, and I didn't know how I was going to deal with it because because I really liked him and so Sarah helped me walk through my little spiel I would give him. You don't remember this at all, do you? Not really, well, that's no. That's irrelevant.
0: Tell me, so he's he, he's told you that he wants to date somebody else and you're going to have a spiel about what? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't want you to date him. No, it was me <laughs>
6: voicing my, my anger and hurt. And oh. I usually don't feel comfortable with that. Oh. And so it was me exercising that oh. and sharing my emotions. Are you
0: saying that he did more than want to? He was dating. No, oh. no. Oh.
6: But I'd, I'd been like, okay, that sounds great.
0: Oh. And then I'd left.
6: And you know, mm-hmm. that's sort of, you know.
0: Well, to for It it seems to me, and Mary, I'd like your opinion about this too, that sometimes recognizing what we need is the biggest hurdle. Because if you're used to going through situations and saying, okay, or closing yourself down.
3: You keep using the word need. And I think lots of times we're negotiating for things we want. That we don't necessarily need.
0: Oh, that's an interesting You know, I point. mean, I,
3: I'd li- I want you to do the dishes, and I don't need you to do the dishes. I could do them myself, the dishes you mentioned earlier. Yes, yes. You know, it, well, so... If- so I think that's where lots of us ha- get hang-ups. Because we don't really I, uh, th- need... I this. really don't need this person to do this for me. I just would rather they did. Well, and what, and what I would are are make a weaker about. argument, you know.
4: <laughs> are, are we talking about physical necessities when we use the word need? Are we talking about things that no, no, I, would, I, I would make get, us happier people?
3: Well, I mean, I would get by if so-and-so didn't date me. You know, I, my life would go on. I mean, I don't well, need that. No, you know? no, but, I mean, that, but
0: that would be different. But you might need the person to do the dishes to as an indicator that, that
3: this person loves you or kids cares for you and notices that you're tired. Good heavens, if I have to get my love by people doing dishes for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, a terrible, oh, right. that's a terrible example. Uh, well, that's a
0: terri- okay. <laughs> okay, Topher. <laughs> we'll move. Mary and I will agree we'll to We'll discuss disagree. this later. <laughs> oh, well, when was the last time, Topher, that in a relationship you something just snapped and you said, Hey, I want that. Or I need you to do this for me. Well, for me... Or things have to change.
5: Yeah, well, Andersons are very, in my family, we're very accommodating people. We're just (laughs) not, you know, our our idea is always, you know, how do we get, you know, everyone getting along? How do we not make a lot of hay? How do we have, you know, accomplish whatever we're trying to do together? And uh, when I was with my girlfriend my junior year of college, it took this long for this kind of thing to happen, um, she did... I, I don't remember exactly what it was. We were in line to get food. We were in front of a food truck, and there was a friend of hers there, one of her sorority sisters. And I did something. I was talking to Kathleen, and I did something or said something that she didn't like or thought was weird or something. And she started lecturing me about it in front of this other person. And I got really cross and went quiet for the rest of the lunch. And then the two of us went off to class, and I was like, what are you doing? Why are you being a jerk like that? And she's like, what? And I, I didn't want to go too hard because I knew she didn't take criticism well. But I said, you're totally embarrassing me in front of your friend. Don't do it. I don't want I don't want it to be like that. And we kinda had a hash out on that. But it it took me a while to get to the point where I could say, you know, stop this. There's an appropriate place for this kind of stuff, and there's not appropriate places, and that was not appropriate, and I don't appreciate being torn down in front of people that you know and I don't.
3: What what was her reaction to this, uh to your standing up for yourself? Uh
5: well, she got first first she was surprised, and then she was kind of dismissive of the concern, and then she got kind of pouty about being being oh. lectured, so I I didn't go any further. How with how
0: it. Did, how long much longer did the relationship last?
5: <laughs> we um we went a, a couple months after that. I think that was about the midpoint of us going out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really killed us was that she hated dogs.
2: Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> terribly <laughs> a, a terrible subject entirely. <laughs> well <laughs> I am sorry. Go ahead.
4: Oh, I was I was m- thinking about maybe bringing the conversation back to the issue of asking asking for things with with parents maybe because I. I remember in high school, I had a very hard time asking, asking my dad to, to be there for me. I mean, he worked very hard. He's a little bit of a workaholic, and I had a great deal of respect for him and what he did, and he never, he never came to any of my swim meets or my water polo games, or, and those things seemed very trivial to me at the time. I, I, I just never was able to say to him, Dad, it would really mean a lot to me if you came to one of my games or if you were home for dinner every night for a week.
0: Now, um, why, w- looking back, why do you think you didn't ask? Um...
4: I, I guess a part in in part I think I was afraid that if he were home or if he were there he wouldn't be impressed with what he saw or that he wouldn't uh, uh, feel that the time was as well spent as it would have been at work. Um, I think I think it was it was an issue of fear more than anything else.
0: Wow. Well, you know, it remi- your story reminds me a little bit of of um, asking my mother for things and. I I blame part of it on her demeanor, so I don't know if you thought about that with your father, that some people, you know, they don't want to be asked certain things, so Mm -hmm. they put up some kind of a barrier. It was very hard to ask my mother for anything. Mm -hmm. I
5: I have something of a a counterpart to that. When I was uh, in high school and doing track and doing an individual event, I was paranoid about my parents seeing me, about performing in front of them, so Mm -hmm. I made them sit way away where I couldn't see them when I was on the runway and this kind of stuff. And it took a while for me to realize that they would never really Ask for it, but it was kind of their their thing as parents. It's like they, like they're proud of me and they want to see me do this thing, and they're not really concerned with how I perform. They're just more concerned with the fact that I'm there. And so I started relenting as I realized this and let them uh, sit closer.
3: Do you think your father looks back and wishes he had been at your matches and your meets and so on now? Well,
4: I'm not sure. I had a conversation with him recently, actually, because I, I have a ten year old sister. And um, you know he he just he wasn't there that much when I was in high school. He he was thinking about retiring um, ten years from now, and he said, "Well, Sarah, what do you think about me retiring ten years from now?" And I said, "Well, Dad, if you wait ten years, you're you're going to be retiring just just when Becca is leaving the house, and so you're going to miss miss all of her time in high school, also." And um, I think he's, he's actually really been thinking about retiring sooner since we had that conversation. And so that's part of what made me think back and wonder if uh, if I had just said something to him when I was in high school about how valuable I found our time together and how much I wanted to see more of him. He might have
6: been prompted to change his behavior sooner. But, you know, I think the hard thing about that is, uh, you know, that's messing with a very apparent. Child dynamic. Who expects their 15 year old to be able to say the words, I really need you here, dad or mom? Yeah. You know, that's a huge expectation for that kid. A lot of 15 year olds don't speak to their
3: parents at all. They don't <laughs> to ask them for anything. Now, now
0: I want to ask a question, Mary, from the parents' point of view of asking your children for something. And uh, I ca- I'm calling these kids children. You're not. You're we're young. We're kids. We're kids. Well, all right. If you don't mind, I'll call you kids. But <laughs> What, what do you think about asking your children or how do you feel? I'll throw it to the kids and let them respond. If your parent, and more likely it could be your father, or your mother, asks you for emotional support, there's a divorce going on or there's an illness or something and suddenly, prematurely, when you think about it, there's been a role reversal. And here's this person who's presumably given you a lot of support and now they're, they're telling you things that I would imagine a young adult would not want to hear. Um, my
6: parents don't believe in that. In what? In doing that, in asking their kids for support. I, I, I remember I was talking to my mom a couple of days ago, and I said, oh, I'm just talking about me the entire time. And she said, Jackie, I'm your mother. You're supposed to talk about you, and when I want to talk about me, I'll talk about me. Um, but she really doesn't encourage that, and she thinks it's really like she. One of my friends in high school had a dad who, you know, brought all his old girlfriends over and talked about his relationships, and she said it was sick and she thought it was not okay that they did that.
0: What if you're depressed though, or you think there's something wrong with your marriage, or you're concerned about your spouse who just happens to be the other parent, and you ask your 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 kid about it, Topher? What do you think? Do you think that would be an imposition on the I, on a twenty-some-year-old,
5: I, I think. I mean, parents. If if there's marriage issues and things, parents really, I think, conscientious ones really need to worry about biasing or not biasing their children, pitting one parent against the other, because that then things get really, really ugly. I haven't been through a divorce, but I can imagine.
3: My mother, that it's when, really I, when nasty. when I was a senior in high school, uh, decades ago, my mother told me one day that she was going to leave my father, and we were going to go live with my grandmother, and she was going to tell me. She said, I'm telling you because you're the only person who is old. And I had a y- much younger sister, and my older sister was up in college. She said, you're the only person around. I can tell this to, and I need to tell somebody. And so she was, in effect, asking me for support at that point. Now, it turns out she didn't do it. But I remember that conversation vividly decades later, that she was asking me to, tell, to look at her and say, yes, okay we're going to do this, or you can do this. She was asking for somebody to give her some kind of approval. I remember that. And how old were you? I was a senior in high school. senior
0: in high school. I remember when I was 12 that my mother told me that my father had been involved with someone else. Ah. And how many years ago was that? And I've never forgotten it. I was kind of even too young to understand what it meant. Yes.
4: Um, I, I was just going to say, my mom frequently asks me for, for advice and or emotional support. Um, you know, she'll, she'll ask me questions about things that are going on with her friends. You know, oh, this friend didn't invite me to a luncheon. And what do you think I should do? What should I say to her? Or, or things that are happening with my dad. You know, your father's been coming home late again. I don't know what to do about it. He's just not here. Um, and it, I do feel like it puts me in a difficult position. I mean, on the one hand, I I I... I appreciate that she respects my opinion enough to, to ask it of me and that she she wants to know what I think about these things. But on the other hand, especially when she's talking about my dad, I I feel kind of uncomfortable sometimes because I I feel caught in the middle. I don't want to be commiserating with her about something that my dad has done wrong.
3: Um, Look, looking back on that conversation with my mother, I don't regret that she asked me that. In fact, I think that was the, almost the day I grew up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll to mm-hmm. say from that point on, our relationship was different, and I was because I she saw me as a somewhat mature person. Yeah, that she could talk to.
5: I think it's also it, it's a lot different at at this say, at the age the students here yeah. are than yeah. if you're talking about an early high school person. I think Jackie's mom makes a great point that if you know when you're talking about developing adolescence, that's a really really big wrench to throw mm-hmm. to ask them to take on their their parents' emotional and uh, and structural issues. It's too much at that age. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to look at emails from our listeners. I'm Susan Morris, and you're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? We'll be right back. I'm Susan Morris. If you're just tuning in, today's panel includes Mary Morrison, along with Stanford students Jackie, Topher, and Sarah. We have several emails here about dealing with people from the past. Here is an email from Aaron. I just got a three-page email from a guy that I've known since my freshman year and our parents are friends, but I I haven't really talked to him very much. In this email though, he went on and on about how he's been thinking about me ever since we met and he's broken up with other girls because of his feelings for me. He says he thinks so much about me that sometimes he can't sleep. The email has kind of creeped me out. I don't really think I know him very well even though our families are friends. I don't know whether I should tell my parents or if I should just ignore this. How do you think I should react?
6: One, yes, that is a creeper thing to do. I would agree with that. <laughs> Two, uh, just deal with it. Just talk to them about it. I mean, this has all been done via Internet. Like, it just, our generation is obsessed with these weird emails they send back and forth. I think that she should just go up to them and say, hey, you sent me this letter. Let's talk about it.
0: Ooh, I disagree. I think this guy's a creep and I don't know if you want to engage in a discussion
3: with that creep. Well if the parents if your parents are friends, you practically can't th- ignore it, I would think. You if, know.
0: If they uh, weren't friends, what would you do?
3: If they were if they weren't friends, I would write him back in one line and say, Don't ever send me an email again. Ooh, I wouldn't you know.
0: I wouldn't do that.
4: I think it, w- with creepy people, the last thing you want to do is get them emotionally riled up. And so, what I would do in that situation is I would write a nice email back and say, you know, I really appreciate you writing to me. That's very nice what you said. Well, he
3: doesn't deserve you know? a nice email.
4: But if you if you send him an angry email and say, don't ever talk to me again, then if they're an obsessive personality, if they're off balance, then then they get angry at you, and you don't want them to be emotionally yeah. invested. but and you angry. don't
6: know if they're off balance until you talk to them, because tone is so interpretive
3: in email form. That's- Three
0: page email talking about this. And he thinks about
3: you every night and he can't sleep. This is weirdness. And I I don't think you should go near the person. I wouldn't go talk to him. I wouldn't, everything. But sometimes
4: these people are just depressed. I, I've had people send me emails like this. I've had two different really? guys. Really, Sarah, collect them. Says, Sarah you get collects this. Sarah collects
3: obsessive emails. There, me. I, I got,
4: my sophomore year, I got an email from a guy I would talked to maybe once. My freshman year, it was three and a half pages long. It was about how he and his his long term girlfriend had just broken up, and how he remembered the first time he and I had met. And we, th- he thought we had so much in common, and he, you know, read my Facebook profile, and we liked the same kinds of music, and mm-hmm. you know, just the series of points about why we should we should be getting together, kind of thing, and. Um, I I I just I I I didn't think it was terribly creepy at the time. I I felt like he was probably lonely and maybe a little bit depressed and I had coffee with him.
5: Oh. I, I I definitely think Jackie's right. This guy does sound like he's a little over the edge, but if you meet with him you, you have the personal satisfaction that you actually tried to nip the problem in the bud. If he turns out to be dangerous or something, you bring a can of mace and have the <laughs> number of the campus police. Meet in a public place. Exactly. And, and and take care of the issue there. I mean, I every now and then I'll send someone an email. It's like, hey, uh, you know, we had class last term or whatever and we talked a few times you want to get coffee and it's not trying to be creepy oh that's very you know, different it's that over. that's very different yeah, but that's but very people surprising. interpret things a different way so you want
3: to meet with yeah. the person
5: and really set up where you two are mm-hmm. if it's not together you want to set that listen, up
3: listen if I got an email someone someone's obsessing about me I would not go meet them. They were obviously way out of there, way out of there. <laughs> well, You're also in a different situation of than being on a college campus. I want to ask
0: if, uh, personally, I've been affected by this creepo at uh, Virginia Tech who went out and massacred all kinds of people. So, you know, you see something like this, which to me indicates some kind of obsessiveness. And are we you know is he going to i don 't think he 's going to go and kill this girl, no. but th- no one else is seeing any kind of correlation with well I,
4: I had I had another creepy, not the same guy who I just talked about, but another one who sent me an email who I had had a class with at some point, and he said he wanted to to meet me and, and talk to me over coffee and when we met up he he um, told me that he liked to imagine me as a character in a book. Oh, and he wanted. To <laughs> what was the book? <laughs> <laughs> well, he he often thought of me as Nora in Ibsen's play *A Doll's House*. Flattering. yeah, which is a, a huge. And I don't know if you've read the play. This woman is is very subservient and passive, and you know her husband walks all over her until the end. Um, but he he often thought of me as Nora from *A Doll's House*. Anyway, he he wanted to get to know me better because he wanted to know how the how the book was supposed to turn out, and he liked to imagine me interacting with other characters in the book. And God. so <laughs> that one was. I, do. I hope you creepy. said So he that, that <laughs> one I, I, I cut off after that. I didn't meet up with him again. I didn't say right. hi when I walked past him. I you know, I made it so he couldn't see my Facebook profile and oh, um, okay. well, th- all those sorts of things. But I, d- I did I did give him the benefit of the doubt and met with him in the first place, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't excited about about it at all.
0: Oh well listen, let's we have time for one more email. This is from Janie emotionally i'm having some trouble getting over my ex and it's affecting all parts of my life Um, in the meantime he's moved found someone else who he's serious with and i still have my crummy job no other boyfriend in sight and no prospects the ex and i have begun emailing each other lately and i'm back thinking about him as a possible boyfriend uh how can i get out of this rut well, I'm not quite sure, Janie, what rut you're talking about. Digging another hole with the same guy? Or,
3: uh, well, she's, play- she's taking all... Her- she has a crummy job, and she does no friends, and, th- and <laughs> so writing an email to this guy is going to solve all these issues? I don't think so. <laughs> well, no, no, no. They've
0: begun emailing lately, so even though he has a new girlfriend, I think he's you know,
3: well on his way to cheating, if you consider... Yeah, but I don't know what she's thinking he's going to do as a result of these emails. Well, it's certainly not going to solve her crummy job situation. But, <laughs> you're much too practical. Well, right? no, I think I think
4: what she needs to be doing is is kind of what Mary is saying. She needs to be attacking the other problems okay. in her life rather than getting involved with this guy again. She should be looking for a new job. She should be thinking about a different living situation. She
0: well, that's all fine and dandy, but sometimes you know if you're really depressed and you're lonely and you don't have a sweetheart that to distract you, you can really be immobilized.
3: Yes, w- you can, but that is, this, is, this is the <laughs> solution. You know, that.
0: Well, a, yes, Topher.
3: Uh, I would I would make a list
5: of everything that was bad about him and post it somewhere where she's going to read it a lot. Because <laughs> that, that helps you get over someone like nothing else. <laughs>
3: Along with the list of, how, of why the job is crummy, too. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and then what one thing you can do about it. Write down one thing you can do about Got this it. situation. That actually would ameliorate something, make something better in her life, and do go do that.
6: Also, yeah. let's put some blame on this guy who's emailing back at her.
0: Yeah, clearly
3: exactly. he is a fiend. Clearly,
0: <laughs> that's yeah, my two cents. I'm sure, well, sure
4: his current girlfriend wouldn't be excited about it.
0: Are you telling me that that having an email correspondence with someone is is it's cheating? No, but if it's a crazy woman,
6: then I think it's poor we judge of character. I think if yeah. it's if it's an ex who you were very close
4: with and who is unattached and who is romantically interested in you, then yeah, it is I, a problem to be having an email correspondence. Susan,
3: if your husband was uh, emailing his ex girlfriend from high school, wouldn't you get a little concerned? Nope, not at all. I I, I uh-huh, think it would depend. I don't <laughs> believe you for a second. <laughs> it
5: would depend if they'd had if they'd been friends before they went out, if they were friends after they went out, <laughs> yeah. all those kinds of things. You
0: see, how many years? You has see, it been? I, yeah, you right. could have lots of qualifiers. No, I I don't know. I mean, there's so much emailing going on. And there's so much, uh, you know, exploration on the internet that, you know, I, I think you ha- your standards... Well is
3: that, Well, okay, one in the old days if he was writing love letters to his old girlfriend, it's it, through the e- snail mail. It's the same thing. <laughs> well, we're not talking love love letters. We're okay. We're not. Well. No. <laughs>
0: I hope not. <laughs> all right. Jim, wait till I get home. <laughs> all right, Mary, you've got me riled up. Okay. Well, it's time to say goodbye. I thank you all for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. <laughs> a good show. Thanks. Mary Morrison, Sarah, Jackie, and Topher. For the record, the opinions you hear on what would your mother say do not represent those of KZSU or Stanford. They are not intended to be a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. Today's show was put together with help from Mark Lawrence. Kyle Wolfe is our engineer. Our show's producer is Sarah Buer. I'm the executive producer. Thank you for your emails. We love hearing from listeners. That's it for tonight. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. And remember, call your mom. I'm Susan Morris.